This meeting is being recorded. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of That Weems Guy. And back in May, we did an episode on a then-upcoming class uh, being taught by Daryl Bulky, Cecil Birch, and Chuck Haggard. That was a non-pervasive environment counter-robbery class. I hope I got the name of it right. That episode has gotten a lot of interest because it is currently the number three most played episode in the history of the show. Well, since that time, the class has been completed, but there are upcoming additional classes in which we will discuss shortly. Uh, so tonight we're going to do a recap of the class, and we have three students who were involved in the class, and they're going to give you their takeaways as well as the instructors will, will give their thoughts. But first, we're going to do a rehash of the class after before we get into those takeaways. But let's go around and do intros. I'll go around my screen to the right. First, Chuck Haggard. How are we doing? Say hello, Chuck. Tell everybody who you are. Uh, Chuck Haggard. I am uh, currently between jobs, so um, I'm hoping to sell a lot of these classes, I guess. <laughs> All right. Cecil Birch. Uh, Cecil Birch, uh, Immediate Action Combatives, and um, I am go around and teach people how to fight and do this class too, which is fun and a little a little more enjoyable because I'm not having to do all the work. I let oh. Daryl and Chuck carry the heavy load. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to let everybody in on the secret that uh, Cecil's actually a grandmaster level shooter, but he t- pretends to be C-class so that he gets to stay inside in the air conditioning while Chuck and Daryl go outside in the 90 degree heat. <laughs> he disguises his shooting ability really well. <laughs> really well. Really, really well. Mike. Hey, Mike Abla. Um, just recently incorporated our training business, which is inclusive defense training here in central Oklahoma. I'm a retired nurse and just uh, been shooting and training for a couple decades now. I'm, I think I'm the old, oldest person in this room, as a matter of fact. All right. And you were a student in the class. I was a student in this class. All right. Daryl. Uh, Daryl Bulky, uh, Hardwired Tactical Shooting, and uh, my DB Shooting Adventure on Facebook. Uh, retired LE, do a lot of shooting stuff, uh, training, and uh, security contractor, make tacos. That's my thing. So. <laughs> L- LA SoCal tacos. Jane? Uh, Jamie Meyer, I'm here in uh, Central Oklahoma. I'm a neighbor to Mike. I was a student in this class. I'm a training enthusiast, a instructor, a competitive shooter, kind of little, do a little bit of everything. So thank you. Alex. Uh, Alex, I'm, I think the only one on the panel that uh, is not an instructor. Um, I'm basically like the, the great value version of Cecil. I'm just a regular dude with uh, no LE or military background, uh, just, you know, white collar professional that happens to carry a gun. Uh, I was a, a student in the, uh, in the class as well. So that's, that's me. Uh, I do, I do run the, the Facebook page and the YouTube channel, the suited shootist. All right. So first I'm going to go back to the three instructors and get them to kind of recap uh, the areas of the class that they taught. So we'll start with Chuck. Uh, 
we've done we've done a couple of versions of the class and we kind of tag team when we're when we're teaching uh me and daryl uh, do most of the range stuff and then uh cecil and i do part of the muck managing unknown contacts paradigm and i'll do oc spray and uh things that are covering options of less than lethal force all of us <clears throat> cover something on uh, the various mpe carry like uh carrying deep cover uh ankle holsters things like that so it's kind of it's a it's a group effort between the three of us obviously cecil has definitely uh, got you know a lot more training education and the, the hand-to-hand stuff with his uh, jiu-jitsu background and uh being uh, i don't know he's like an 85th degree black belt right now i think something like that um and then uh daryl and i do have the the police experience feeds into the whole counter robbery part all right cecil so i i kind of like chuck said i'm 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 indoors where it's nice and comfortable most of the time um I'm doing, I hate to call it force on force because it's not, you know, I, the image of most people's force on force is it's either like a fight where you're mm-hmm. crashing or it's some shoot em up, you know, equivalent of paintball or whatever. And everyone's shooting. And that's not what we do. What, so we work through the idea of managing unknown, unknown contacts, the idea of understanding how to basically having a social fluency in dealing with people and talking to people who you don't know, who might be hostile. You don't know. You can't act as if they are in a, in our environment, but you have to be careful. And then going through that and dealing with that ambiguity, most of the scenario work is if you do most of the things correctly, you don't have to have any problems. You don't have to draw your gun. You don't have to fight. You don't have to pepper spray, nothing. But I mean, we have a couple things, you know, where I teach a couple um, hand-to-hand responses, just in case we, we do go over using and, and, and getting used to using and deploying um, OC spray. Cause a lot of people never actually put it to the test against other people, you know, deploying it and that kind of stuff. So we work through that and, you know, and that's me doing all that kind of stuff. And we keep tying it back in to the shooting portion, not like where they're two separate things, but people come back from the range and go, well, we just worked this. Ah, now we can work it with other people. And that's what I spend my time on when in the AC. Yes. And, you know, and if everybody else had done the work, they could stay inside. Exactly. Exactly. It's not my fault, Daryl and Chuck have the cop idea where they where they go at it in the hard way. You know, it's not my fault. And so the ideal outcome to these scenarios would be to not engage in the physical force or the shooting. Exactly. Exactly. You know, like I said, there's a couple of them where we specifically are working something just so you get the reps of doing it. But the majority of them, if you do everything right you you're out of there and you keep the that potential bad guy from being able to do bad guy stuff absolutely because that does lessen the chance of horrible things going wrong yep exactly db i'm the horrible things go wrong dude (laughs) (laughs) that's what i do i do the horrible things um so kind of my phase on this is you know uh Kind of Cecil handles the beginning and I kind of handle the end and Chuck's kind of the middle of the mesh and it all together. 
And what I focus on is if it comes down to application of lethal force, how do we do that? And so my goal is to do a couple of things is to teach students how to apply lethal force or not apply it. Um, the kind of the matrix that we've got set up for doing that. And the other thing, and we tell them at the beginning of class, it's just park your ego because I'm going to try to hand you as many failures as I possibly can so that you get the experience of failing that starts to become real experience versus, uh, you know, making yourself feel good by shooting drills. So um, everything comes with consequence on the range on how we do this. And it sets the students up on application of force as opposed to shooting. So what that's my, my thing is application of lethal force or, and how, how to gauge that and when to make those decisions. And uh, we're getting better at this class every time. I mean, it, it kind of is evolving that we're, we're getting it down pretty good at this point. So um, we had a great student base on this one as well. So that's what I do. It all went bad. Well, you know, there's, there's a key <laughs> point of there is that there are consequences. And you mentioned failure. I think it's natural for everyone into their own mind and in their own head when they envision these scenarios that always see themselves as the winner. And that's just not necessarily the case because it's a two-way encounter. Yeah, they get, to get, <laughs> yeah they get to get on the range with Krampus and I cancel Christmas for them. Right. <laughs> Nobody and gets any toys. <laughs> when things start going two-way, they're just bad things can happen. Uh, it's just when all we're doing is standing and shooting targets that are stationary and two-dimensional and everything, it kind of gives a false sense of good, I think. And the timer gives us a sense of, oh, I'm doing all these great things. Mm, that might not necessarily play into the, into the real-world encounter. Um, Mike, did I hear you say that you're a retired nurse? Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, 25 years of uh, behavioral health, which we, we started out calling psych, and then it became uh, mental health, and then became behavioral health, and uh, that and some state-level emergency preparedness and response, which originally was terrorism preparedness and response, but yeah. So let's just say in that work environment, if you had gotten caught carrying a firearm contrary to the workplace rules, would there have been very negative professional outcomes to that? Absolutely. And, and in fact, I mean, it, it was basically impossible in, in a psychiatric hospital. Mm -hmm. There's no way you would want to, or at least in my experience, there was no way you would ever want to walk on a psychiatric, acute psychiatric unit with any kind of concealed weapon. I, I didn't even bring my fingernail clippers back there. Um, now, working in a state office building, absolutely, there would have been consequences not saying one way or the other whether I ever did that, <laughs> but right. yeah, absolutely. If I'd gotten caught, there there would have been consequences. Uh, would there have been any professional licensure issues with that in Oklahoma? Possibly. If it had been reported to the board, if there had been an arrest, yes. Um, if I'd been maybe terminated, probably not. Yeah. Um, but, so you would have had to, to know. but you would have had to put that on job applications 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're going to be truthful in your job application, which I've, I've never been less than truthful myself in a job right. application. Right. All right. Speaking of like horrible consequences in the workplace, Alex, would you have something you'd be <laughs> care to share? <laughs> yeah, this is the uh, this is the little corner of Internet fame I've managed to carve out for myself, aside from uh, screeching at people to wear their pants at the proper height. The uh, what I'm best known for is the fact that I am the only person that I know of that has been fired from a job because I got caught violating company weapons policy. And the Cliff Notes version of it is, number one, I thought I was smarter than everybody. Number two, I literally, I thought I had war gamed this out. And the solution that I came to based on what I had seen up to that point the thought that went through my head was I literally cannot think of a circumstance where I or my personal effects would actually be subject to search. So basically, as long as I'm not printing, I think I'm okay. Well, kind of to, to yada, yada, yada over the details, I found out exactly the circumstances where you are subject to search by your employer and it did not end well for me. Um, and for that's where a lot of people cut the story off. But the reality of it was I was making decent money in a sales role. And that all got set on fire in a manner of hours. And it took about a year for me to build back to a point where I was even remotely close to where I'd been financially. Now, thankfully, just because of the nature of what I was doing, there were no professional licenses involved. It didn't, uh, there, there wasn't any real limitation in my ability to pivot. But what did happen was I had to go through and bounced around probably four to maybe half a dozen different gigs before I found something that was able to pay me comparably and was a work environment that was close to equivalent to where I came from. Because, you know, the reality is, is that a lot of sales guys, when you when you talk about that role, you get this kind of Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross-esque, very kind of boiler room, Wolf of Wall Street, whatever Hollywood trope you want to invoke. Um, and there's a bunch of those out there, but that ain't me. So it took a solid year of trial and a lot of error to undo that damage and you know thankfully we were in a position where that wasn't catastrophic but i mean you know god forbid if i had to contend with you know kids uh you know student loans or or, or anything else uh it could have been a lot worse than it was so um yeah all the all the people that say oh we'll just get another job i've seen that movie i don't recommend it did you when you were in that whole process, did you apply for jobs? And when they found out why he had been terminated from the previous job, I'm like, no, we're not going to hire you. Um, I'm slightly more morally flexible than Mike is. <laughs> so uh, I didn't necessarily disclose that fact because at least based on the, uh, the and you know, the, the, the reality of it is, is knowing what I know about HR law, they really can't go into detail. 
So I'm not going to give more information than they need. Okay. All right. I guess that's a little bit different world than the world that Daryl and Chuck and I uh, have been around in because somebody would have been at your former oh, employer don't, in, yeah, don't, interviewing don't, don't, people. Yeah. Well, and don't get me wrong. If there if there was any semblance of actual background check involved, that's a whole different story. But in the yeah. uh, in 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 the private sector, the yeah. uh, the job seeker thankfully is is a bit more protected. You know, we don't have to go through quite the invasive background uh, investigation that uh, that y'all do. So, yeah, I'm not necessarily going to remind the teacher they forgot to give me homework. <laughs> All right. Yeah, and the audience, the whole point we're going into that is that we're, we are trying to reiterate that, you know, the gun and the use of force is not necessarily the correct answer. And you can be putting your whole livelihood in jeopardy because you're trying to protect yourself in this one area, but you're opening yourself up to damage in the other. And, you know, I teach a search and seizure class on the law enforcement side. And I tell the students at the opening segment that this is an officer survival class. And they look at me funny. It's like, because part of surviving as an officer is still continuing to be employed, being able to go home at the end of your shift because you're free to do so and you're not locked up yourself in a civil rights violation and that you're still, you know, have a home to go to because you have a lost in a lawsuit. Those are all parts of quality of life that, you know, yes, we are worried about the the parking lot robbery or the things, the horrible things that can go wrong in the world. But you also have to protect your livelihood and your well-being and your family on the other side of it and come out. And so that that's I think where you guys were going with the material for this class. And I know that's where we kind of wanted to go with the discussion. Uh, any thoughts on that particular point we'll go back around real quick chuck yeah like you said uh you know in the law enforcement world we learned that the the hard way very quickly that you know you can you can screw something up end up in federal court end up in prison end up somebody else is driving your car and living in your house uh most people don't understand that level of liability but uh you know, and this, this is a discussion like Cecil and Daryl and I and other, uh, you know, big brain people like Claude Warner have talked about the reality of truly concealed carry and truly concealing uh, whatever that it, that, you know, if it's gun, pepper spray, uh, knives, whatever in, in uh, various MPEs. And of course, uh, none of us are really advocating breaking the law, but there's a lot of places like we, we've already mentioned, maybe it's not a legal thing, but you get fired from your job. And at some of these jobs, like I have a friend who's, a, a, we'll say an academic professional who uh, has been carrying on campus and knows that uh, although it's legal, it would be really frowned upon. And there's a possibility of if you get blackballed from your career, it's not just like Alex said, go find a new job. If, if, if you have a limited niche of a career that you have put a lot of time and effort into training yourself to be, um, you know, let's say you're actually a rocket scientist. There's only so many of those. And if you get blackballed out of that community, then, you know, that that's the end of your career, maybe the end of your profession, um, whatever the case may be. So uh, I've known people who maybe, you know, 
facing, uh, you know, very serious professional consequences, or uh, they're in a business gig where maybe they're going to lose six, seven figure income out of the deal. And then, you know, that's the kind of thing that um, lot, not everybody thinks about the, the consequences of that, or the situations that people are in where you are around people all the time and how people in maybe an office or other environments will notice things like your clothing. You know, some of that I know uh, Alex can speak to uh, much better than I can because half my life I've been able to get away with, uh, you know, dressing like Belker off of a uh, Hill Street Blues, you know. Um, but people notice things like fit of clothing and bulges in weird places that they're not supposed to be and that, that sort of thing. Uh, so there's very real ramifications of that. And then, you know, we talked about uh, not turning something into a deadly force incident. And maybe, you know, you're completely righteous, but uh, depending on where you're at and what you were doing, uh, there's a lot of places in the country right now that you may not want to have to deal with the district attorney of that jurisdiction or of that county. You know, maybe, maybe you win your criminal trial or your civil trial, but at what cost? If I can avoid paying a lawyer, you know, 50, 60, 100,000, $200,000 to keep myself out of jail or whatever, then, um, you know, that's a pretty good deal if I don't have to spend that money. Cecil? Yeah, I, you know, everything Chuck said spot on, but there's also this, like I turned 58 next week. At this point in my life, I am so lazy. I don't want to get into a fight. I don't want to have to shoot somebody. I don't want to have to answer cops. I don't want to have to, you know, uh, call my lawyer. I don't want to have to get interviewed by the news media. Oh, you did this. I don't want, I don't want to deal with any of that. I want to, I want to, you know, go to restaurants that I want to eat at. I want to go hang out with my wife. I want to go hang out with my kids and my grandson. I want to go to jujitsu. I want to go to the shooting range. That's where I want to spend my time, not all this other stuff. And I think there's some times in our community, and it's the martial arts side too, because you get the same kind of um, fantasy world built in your, in, in your head there as well, where, oh, you know, I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to get in this. It's no good. It's not going to be a big deal because in the t in TV and the movies, no, there's no negative consequences. Even if there's, you know, a little bit of drama in between one commercial break where, oh, you know, this is going bad. Of course, the secret witness comes out and, and exonerates you and everything. You go home after 20 minutes and everything's fine. No, you know, I think that's not how it works. And I don't want to have to spend, there's enough stress in my life that I don't need to add to it. It's just dumb. So if you can figure out how to go about these things. Yes, be prepared to defend yourself. Have these, the gear, the skills, all those kinds of things. Absolutely. But if your best skill is figuring out how not to deal with it, man, that's so much. I'd much rather be on a podcast talking to all you guys than, oh, well, we can't get a hold of Cecil because, you know, He's under investigation. You know, it's just, it's dumb. I don't want to deal with that as much as I, you know, 43 years of martial arts, right? Yeah. I love doing that. I don't want to use it out on the street because it's going to, and like you said, maybe I do everything right. Maybe, maybe the guy I'm going against, not even a challenge for me, but as I'm throwing him headfirst into the asphalt 
I step on a, um, you know, a divot in the, in the, in the, in the asphalt and I snap my ankle. Right. And now I got to be in surgery and stuff. You know, those things happen. I don't want to deal with it. You know, I want to, you know, I'm lazy. I'm going to keep being lazy. Mike. Mike, so, yeah, I heard you. I, I was just kind of formulating an answer because I was I was kind of digesting what Cecil said and in my head agreeing with him. I'm lazy. You know, I, I'm, I'm mostly retired. So, um, you know, it, it I think it very much is uh, a question of what's the, what system works for you best. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I know it takes a little while to formulate thoughts after Cecil says something thought provoking just because it just doesn't happen that often. And it's shocking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've been awed by all three of, of our instructor guests tonight. Um, that uh, weekend we spent with them. What was not a weekend of snacks, it was a weekend of full meals. Um, for, for me, at least, and uh, the way that that we learned what I think of as a very scaled and nuanced response, or really approach to violence in environments that are that are not permissive, um, was eye-opening. Eye-opening for sure. You know, there are so many classes that we take as as students um, learning to defend ourselves that take a chunk, you know, you, you get a little chunk of it. Uh, I'm, I'm a recent Brazilian jiu-jitsu student. I started back in April, um, and that's a chunk. And everything I've learned in the shooting world is a chunk, you know. Um, even taking the Range Master instructor training, that was just a chunk. It's really kind of about shooting and the legalities and um, how you teach people, but it's still just a chunk. But a weekend like this, is a nuanced, um, contextual, sort of scaled approach to how do you, from soup to nuts, not how do you shoot, but how do you manage people? How do you manage them all the way from their approach in a transitional area to having to shoot them, right? Um, how do you get through that whole problem and try not to trip over your own feet in it? So I don't know if that really answers um, the question or not, but I, that's my overall impression of this. I mean, it, it was, it, you know, this class is a significant investment of time and money. Um, and I don't think it's for beginners at all. And I, and I said that in the review that I wrote, but um man, what a worthwhile way to spend two and a half days. All right, DB. Um, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting thing with this is, you know, not everybody, the gun is always not the solution, but we try to make it that. Um, and, you know, I got my own test on this uh, coming back from this class in Wisconsin last year is I got dumped off a plane in Chicago at 11 o'clock at night with whatever I had on the plane to contend with any kind of force stuff. 
yeah, we can't always have our preferred little little gun of choice. We can't have this work environments. How we conceal may not be how we really want to have accessibility, that type of thing. I think uh, Jamie could probably talk to some of the uh, additional problems that women face in this that you know, it's, 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 they have an even greater investment than the men do in trying to get their systems down and carry an accessibility. And the reality of this stuff is that it's not always going to go well, it, it, it's not that it's not always going to go it. It most likely is not going to go the way you think it is. And you're not going to have all the things you think you're going to, or do the things you think you're going to do. What we try to point out to the students is you got to work these certain set of fundamentals on the tool side, and then you have to have a kind of step-by-step uh, way to task stack on your application of force. And we try to kind of put it into context for the students to let them be able to figure out that I can, again, I might not always have the gun I want. I might not always have the carry system I want. I might not have all the things I want, or I might just be walking into an absolute flipping disaster. Um, and that these traditional solutions we have probably aren't going to work or they're not going to be optimal and kind of how to think your way through that. Um, and, you know, like I said, I, I think, again, you know, like Jamie probably has a pretty unique perspective on the other end, because I know what her journeys looked like on just the accessibility thing for the firearms been a ton of work. Um, I know what my wife goes through with that. And these are, you know, these are normal earth people trying to go to normal earth people jobs and trying just not to get eaten by prey or not being prey and getting eaten by predators. And that's what we're really trying to teach them how to do is how to deal with predatory people while they're in a situation that they might not have, uh, you know, their super mega blaster and uh, 21 round magazine and stuff that's you know, just like what I've got sitting on my nightstand. That's probably not going to be what you have when this stuff happens. So. Yeah. Well, Jamie, you roll around with like a battle belt on all the time, don't you? What thoughts do you have for us, Shannon? No, not at all. No battle belts for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, my biggest uh, probably takeaway for this was just the high level of accountability, um, problem solving. Um, I haven't, uh, I've done, I've done some stuff with Chuck and DB, of course, but I haven't really done anything um, with Cecil. So I really, really paid attention to him a lot. So most of all of my notes came from Cecil. No offense to anybody else, but I got notes on you guys. Um, but for, for me, my biggest takeaway was um, Cecil was really um, careful to include me as being a female on the different types of techniques that were important for me to make sure I follow through with and that I learned them and learned them correctly so I could build that data bank that he was trying to give us. Um, so like our verbal skills, our hand positions, you know, with our elbows tucked and um, our hip positions, making sure I was squared. So I really appreciated that um, a lot. The uh, understanding what we are seeing, being able to make the decision um, with that as we're evaluating it, what is around us? Is it, is it appropriate for the situation or the place that we're at? Um, and that kind of follows into what Chuck and DB also were um, schooling us on the range 
you know, kind of the same, the same thing. And um, kind of like what the other guys were saying, as far as how everything, this class really built up, you know, we would work here in the classroom and then we would go to the range. For us, we had three different uh, groups, I believe. And so we would rotate every hour and a half or so and rotate through each of them. And even though we may have started in say station one and moved to station two, the other group started over here, everything still complemented each other very well, even though it wasn't done necessarily in the same rotation, if that makes sense. So um, I thought it was great. It was good, good stuff. I'd highly recommend it and I'm definitely gonna do it again. Do you have any thoughts along with what Dara was talking about as far as like uh, the challenges that, that a female faces with actually carrying a firearm and yes. you know, the differences in the wardrobe and expectations? Is yes. A lot of that came up even in the class, um, as we were discussing, a lot of the guys, they were curious about pocket carry or they were curious about ankle carry. Um, a lot of that doesn't really work with females and the way we dress. A lot of us wear tight, um, a lot tighter clothes. Our pockets aren't made um, to be baggy. They're very form fitted, just like our pants. A lot of us don't wear trousers. We wear capris or shorts or you know, something that is um, more tailored towards our ankles. Um, so there is a lot, I know I showed up, um, in, in class with what I consider, you know, my most concealable, um, uh, setup and that is my flashbang holster by flashbang. Um, and that is the easiest form for me as far as being as most concealable as I can, because people don't expect that they look at your waist. Well, most of my clothes are very form fitted. So along my waistline, uh, a lot of women and me too, we have a lot of issues with bulges and we don't want the extra. We don't want to look like we have rolls or bumps or anything like that. So it is difficult. And there are, you know, there are uh, systems out there where we can work around that. There's, you know, lots of uh, options, but you just have to be educated and, and kind of know what journey to take to, to get there. You can get there. You just a lot of times for women, when they show up in my class, they do have the little pocket guns. Almost all of the guns that we had out on the table in the NPE class were guns that I see all of the time that show up in my classes because those are the easiest guns for the ladies to conceal. Just because they're not the easiest to shoot doesn't mean that that's not what they're gonna carry. So we have to teach them to operate those firearms that they have in the best form that they in the best way that they can so um, there are a lot more you know i see a lot of men carrying full-size guns out there no problems at all um but you just don't see a lot of women doing that honestly i mean let's be realistic how was the accessibility with the flashbang during some of the hands-on stuff that you were going through I didn't do that i didn't ask permission ahead of time i didn't even think mm -hmm. about it i thought that that would not be appropriate it, had I not um, discussed that working that live on the range. I have worked live on the range with it in the past, mm -hmm. um, but I did not do it in the class um, just because I didn't feel comfortable um, in that situation. I didn't ask ahead of time. So I just worked from a, just the AIWB. So. Okay. I would, I would have let you. <laughs> you know, we kind of let you do anything um, in this class. That's your normal carry stuff, um, you know, but kind of 
what getting into one of the other things we do in this class is we do a whole discussion with the instructors on like what we carry what systems we've developed over the years for carrying different types of force tools and how we carry them in what environments and they're not always a gun um and going over stuff and and one of the things like jamie talked about is like for women the purse is the pocket for men and that's a social thing um, you're not supposed you're socially out of line going into a man's pocket you are socially out of line going into a woman's purse uh the flashbang type holster is something very similar to the ankle holster um it, we look down on it. We don't sometimes think it's safe or whatever, but it tends to be one of the better systems for carrying these guns to actually carry it con truly concealed in that environment. Um, you know, a lot of people have poo-pooed ankle holsters, uh, you know, over the years, um, shoulder rigs, all sorts of stuff that we've gotten rid of because of, and like the flashbang, because we think they're unsafe to use at the range. So we don't use them anymore when they're actually applicable for daily concealed carry in an environment where um, I, I have what I call, I divide this into covered, concealed and undetectable carry. Um, a lot of people who are covered think they're concealed. They're not, they're just covered. Uh, most of us who've had a badge, that's generally what we do because we have no consequence for printing. Um, when you get down to undetectable carry, and that's in your, if you're in these work environments where, or in environments with a lot of consequence to carrying a firearm, you need to be at an undetectable level. And that's pretty difficult to attain uh, with anything short of a, a, a very small firearm or uh, a firearm that's carried in a, you know, you're going to lose a lot of accessibility to get to the undetectability, if that makes sense. And, you know, uh, again, most of the people out there that a lot of people teach and have not had to practically apply this stuff where we've learned a lot over the years. Um, you know, for me, a year working vice and picking up hookers and working, uh, being in bars that white dudes don't belong in, you get, you know, you know like I said, there's nothing more. You, you want to get an inappropriate pat down, get in a car with a hooker. Who's trying to see if you're professionally, of course, professionally, professionally, professionally. <laughs> and uh, you're going to you're going to learn about how to carry con truly concealed uh, and having people touching you in inappropriate places looking for a gun. So, you know, it, it, it's again, it's a learning experience. And we try to pass that on to the students that it, I don't think anybody got downgraded for the equipment they were using because that's a personal choice they need to do. Um, I think we had one student very held back by the sights on her gun because she bought into that SAS thing. And we made such an impression of just handing her the exact same gun with better sights on it and an optical system. Literally on the way home from class, she bought a, a standard 365 rather than the SAA. You'd get rid of her SAS because we showed her that, hey, the accuracy you need for doing this because the accountability you need something with sights. The size of the gun wasn't the problem. It was the sighting. So that's what we try to do with students and get them. Whatever their choice is, it's okay. We, you know, we don't live their life. So whatever it is, it's fine. And we'll just try to get you to maximize what you're working with. Because sometimes you're going to end up like I did. You're going to get off a plane in Chicago at 11 o'clock at night you know, with a screwdriver and a flashlight. And you got to make, you got to make go of it, you know, so... And I mean, for the uh, for the for the folks that are listening to this, just for reference, I ran the entire class basically splitting the shooting portion between 
the most capable firearm I was shooting was a Ruger LCR in 22. And the other one that I was running it with was my Keltec P32. And the only reason that the P32 is on the low end is because the sights on that thing are atrocious. Um, but at no point was anybody on the line straight up whipping my ass because of the guns they were shooting. Uh, as you are the suited shooters, do you have any wardrobe advice you can give the men here? Um, if I could Thanos snap one expression out of existence, it would be dress around the gun because honestly, I think that that is an incredibly uh, limiting approach. You know, the, 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 the reality is, is, is that we need to find defensive tools that we can realistically live with because we are living with them far more than we're ever employing them. And the more naturally we can incorporate them into our lifestyle, the less obtrusive they're going to be, which means the less we are going to draw attention to them with the corresponding wardrobe adjustments and changes in body language and mannerisms. Um, something that I had, I had mentioned is there are instances where situationally appropriate and optimal can be on completely opposite sides of the spectrum. And that was one of the things, honestly, that got me in trouble was the fact that I insisted on trying to maintain the optimal Glock 19 setup as opposed to, okay, what's something that I can run and have on my person in a position that is not only socially unacceptable for anybody else to try and access, but based on my context, an HR liability for somebody else to try and discover. So, you know, quite literally short of my spouse or a medical professional, nobody should be touching me in the areas where I'm carrying that, you know, the, 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 that degree of, uh, of, of undetectable to take Daryl's term. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you don't have to wear a size up. You don't have to wear a certain clothes. You can accommodate a firearm in anything from, you know, a speedo to a tuxedo and everything in between. It may not be the same gun, but if it's a gun in a circumstance where most folks don't have one, you know, again, DB has got a lot of experience in that realm. So, Mike, as a student, what was your biggest takeaway from the class? I think the gestalt of, of how that all that works together, all those all those approaches from from managing unknown contacts to employing pepper spray to um, you know just the the entire realm that we had our instructors put together for us that and the, the fact that we had three count them three subject matter experts there who were available for questions and and i know that it wasn't just me that took advantage of that during that class that you know i i could you know and i did um go to legendary lawman chuck haggard and ask him about oc use and and you know for my particular circumstance because i'm a high-end user of oc around my neighborhood um, just that the ability to to talk about 
you know, what's, what in particular um, is a solution or maybe an idea that I can use for me. Um, the, having that availability was just, that was worth the price of admission alone. Jamie, do you have any other thoughts on takeaways? Yeah, um, and I may say this wrong. Uh, Chuck has said this before, and, and I wrote it down, so I hope I got it. But this was really sunk in this class, and I know I've heard it before probably several times, but um, competent use of force early at the right time can help elim eliminate deadly force um, later. And just that sentence has so much meaning and it's so deep. And I think from this particular class with the, the great group of instruction that we received that it was, it just kept repeating itself in my head. And so that's one of my, my things now that I think is, is if I could sum it up, there it is. I'm going to throw it to Chuck and let him elaborate on that. So that's something that I picked up in the police world that I've noticed, uh, you know, I was in a very high action job for a very long time. Um, both on the street and in SWAT, and particularly on the street, what I noticed some of these uh, situations, looking back at it, you could see them getting out of hand. Um, one of the most glaring examples that anybody can access would be the uh, very, uh, you know, tragic Kyle Denkeller shooting from the car stop uh, down in Georgia, uh, where a lot of people watch that car camera video that eventually devolved into a gunfight where Deputy Deputy Dinkeller, that's tough to say in a row, was, uh, was murdered, um, you know, and all kinds of people were like, well, why didn't he shoot sooner? And, and, you know, that was really the wrong question. Why didn't he apply a competent, less than lethal use of force that didn't allow it to turn into a gunfight? And, and he didn't, you know, he had the ability and he had the means and then just didn't. Uh, and allowed something that wasn't a gunfight to turn into a gunfight. Uh, in a civilian context, a lot of people are familiar with the George Zimmerman incident. And, you know, I point out that Zimmerman, you know, it eventually de-evolved into a gunfight uh, or a fight, a deadly force incident where a gun was used, I should say more correctly, and then a murder trial, et cetera, et cetera. So I commonly point out to people that George Zimmerman had early in an encounter with Trayvon Martin, uh, say he had pepper sprayed him in the face uh, and back ran away and called 911. What are the odds that any of us would have ever heard of, of either one of those people? Um, you know, George wouldn't have ended up on trial and Trayvon wouldn't be dead. Um, so the, it's, it's a thought that I've had. I came up probably, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago was if you use sufficient force early, uh, and competently, you don't have to use more force later to dig yourself out of a hole. Yeah. You know, just watching cop use of force videos on YouTube, you will see countless examples of if the cop had won the situation in the hands-on portion, we never would have gotten to the deadly force portion or just controlled the situation mm -hmm. early on, we wouldn't have gotten to the deadly force. Now, obviously, we don't have countless reams of you know video on the on this private citizen side of that but it, it's the same thing yeah and it, it goes back to some of the classic uh 
officer survival things that we go back, you know, if we look at the, remember the New Hall massacre, which uh-huh. sadly becoming less and less known in law enforcement circles, uh, if uh, those four CHP officers that were murdered had utilized a real, you know, good felony car stop tactics, it, even if it turned into a gunfight, they would have had control of the scenario instead of what happened, which was all four of them were murdered within the space of a couple of minutes. Um, so we can we can find example after example after example of these situations where they could have been controlled with something less until uh, the victim or the officer or whoever was a party to it uh, that they failed to take control of the situation early when they could have done so by lesser means. Yeah, you know, I think that comes down to having a parking spot in your brain for what the situation really is. Because you know, you talk about Newhall. One of the CHP guys got out of the car with a shotgun, mm-hmm. but he didn't have the shot get out of the car with a shotgun carried in a means in which he could employ the shotgun. Yeah. So what's the point of having it? He, he recognized that there was a dangerous situation that was dangerous enough to get the shotgun out of the car, but then his brain didn't accept the reality of you know if I stand here like I'm in business with this shotgun, maybe these cats won't try me. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Alex, you raised a good point in the chat about mm-hmm. what your biggest takeaway of the class was. And I think that's a very key point that we yeah. really need to touch uh, on. And it's, uh, this was one of a very small handful of, of classes I've ever attended where without being specifically set up for failure, which I think that's critical because if you're setting somebody up to fail, there's not necessarily uh, value there, but we were put in positions where you could make an inappropriate force decision. And most of the conventional to steal a Claude Wernerism, you know, kind of uh, firing squad training, <laughs> um, where it's stand and deliver and everybody knows what the sequence of fire is but it is a predetermined sequence of fire, not whether or not somebody needs shot. And if so, how much, um, pretty much at least based on, on my experience outside of this, uh, some of the other, um, you know, some of the other, uh, hardwired material and ECQC, there's not a lot that I've been exposed to yet where you can, it, you can shoot somebody inappropriately. So, that is a very illuminating experience, especially given that when it happened to me, um, it wasn't even, I, I expected it to be be Daryl because he is just devious and enjoys inflicting emotional trauma on people. But weirdly enough, it was actually the students that I was paired with, several of whom this was either their first class or one of their first classes. And they structured it in such a way that when I came on target and read the situation, it looked enough like a shooting problem that it wasn't until cleared leather ran the whole thing. And as my, as I'm literally bringing my sights off of target, I just go, Oh, you expletive. And it was one of those where like it in the split second, it looked enough like a duck to where I was like, okay, cool. I'm cleared hot. And then once the dust settles, like that maybe didn't need to happen. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, Jamie, it, it, Jamie was by far a cruelest student to the other students. <laughs> by by far. Was he? Wow. Oh God. Cause, yeah. Because they they were rough on me, so I can't even uh, imagine uh, what uh, she inflicted. Yeah, she was getting the new nickname every day on the level of <laughs> uh, of inflicting pain on her phone. Because you know, I let the students set the other students up. Yeah, you know, it's no fair if just the instructor you know oh, creates yeah. these situations. I let the students kind of participate in this and uh mm -hmm. you know so they set the scenarios up themselves and uh you know it, it makes it adds uh that way everybody's participating at all levels on you know these things so you're learning even while you're not the person in the in the ring at the moment but uh yeah is uh jamie jamie was on a different level from everybody else you know <laughs> little sweet jamie and her little smile and her little oklahomaisms and you know just yeah just a whole, yeah, different, know, flavor a whole different flavor of evil <laughs> well i mean we, in, we invented this so i have a reputation yeah. to uphold yeah, the uh, the the uh, one of the drills we do is we call it uh, uh, "screw your neighbor," and uh, that came from my uh, my Oklahoma shoot like a girl girls that we did this class for the uh, shoot like a girl instructors, and uh, one of them came up with this. So the uh, the the Oklahoma ladies have kind of claimed ownership of this, and they like dominating this uh, one exercise, and they're pretty darn good at it. So. Well, going back to Alex's point there, yeah, I've recently picked up on the definition of learning from, from a class that Kegel actually recommended. And it's, you know, the definition of learning is a persisting change in a knowledge, skill, or attitude. And, you, you know, you look at what Alex said, it, I did something wrong in the class. And I think one of the reasons force on force classes and it's not necessarily say force on force. One of the reasons they don't sell as well as the traditional shooting class is, is that people are worried about their ego. Yep. They don't want to, because either one, they're scared of getting burned down in no win situations, or they're scared their tactics are going to be horribly wrong, or, you know, they're going to get judged on, on that kind of thing. Well, in a very well-run program like this one, that's the reason you show up for one of these because if you're going to fail this is where you fail in the laboratory so that you learn how to walk this into real life you know go have your horrible screw up on the range where you know chuck's a nice guy he'll put his arm around you and talk to you about it and it's like hey look let's learn from this and okay that's where you can get that persisting change and learn that just because i had a gun it's not a gun problem Necessary. I would much rather have DB make fun of me for burning down the wrong target than trying to explain that to 12 people in a jury box. Yeah. Now, and you, you've committed enough murders in my class now. You're getting pretty good at, about it. So <laughs> I'm not doing it. But you know, it you was realize that it. this is discoverable, Daryl. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> yeah, but you know, but the, the, the lawyer did it too. You know, that was the greatest thing. It's if I don't oh, get the yeah. lawyer. Uh, you know, if I don't have the lawyer in the class, uh, you know, outright, right, straight up, the basement, straight up homicide, then, then we really haven't been successful because, uh, you know, and that's well, and you know, and he you shot show, everybody. Yeah. And you show people that, you know, this isn't easy. And that, and you know, it's not about the shooting. I mean, day one, we kind of do a little bit of some warm up stuff just to make every sure everybody can hold the accuracy standards we ask. But after that, 
Um, I, I don't think anybody was held up or held back or whatever by what, and they were shooting a lot of little tiny guns. I think one of the students who, who really kind of cleaned the house in this class um, was shooting a 22 LCR out of the pocket, a 327 LCR out of an appendix holster and just burned it down. And, and, and those are his not, first class. Yeah. And it's not really, oh. no, that wasn't him. That was another student who was alone. And okay. that was, if you want a kind of a takeaway, we had one student who was a good shooter and he was one of them physical guys. You could tell that he's in great shape and he's, he looked a lot younger than he actually was. And it never really had a formal class, but you know what he did? <laughs> he had no range, bad habits. So when you tell him, Hey, don't shoot this. Oh, okay. I won't shoot that. You know, where if you take somebody and I'm going to throw her under the bus, but you take somebody like Jamie, who's a high level competitive shooter. You know, you don't want to get on a sport shooting game with Jamie because you're going to probably get smoked in. On the other hand, it's hard for her to not do some of the things we tell them not to do because everything she's ever done has allowed her to put muzzles on things you shouldn't. So all of a yep. sudden, it's it, she's trying to unwire, you know, thousands upon thousands of repetitions. And then I got a kid who's never, he's never put a muzzle on anything like that so he they're telling him not to do it it's like okay i won't do that yeah, yeah don't put a muzzle th those are not no shoot targets those are no cover everything's a no cover target and the shoot targets are actually shoot no shoot targets okay. see that's the whole change in dynamic we use so so when everything's a no cover target you got some kid out there who's never kind of been in a match or a training class or had all this uh -huh. when you tell them don't put the muzzle on the note on, on, on any of the ones except if you get to shoot it they get you go oh, okay cool you know we're again you know telling all these other people have been in all these classes and they're active shooters or competitors when you tell them not to cover anything that is not that's a citizen fellow citizen it's like yeah there's that muzzle oops and, it, and you can see the muzzle going by and going oops you know and yeah, is yeah, is yeah, is and yep. the only way to kind of unwire that is we got to give them consequences, you know, in these classes to kind of unwind mm -hmm. what their habits are now. And we we create a lot of our own bad habits and how we train. And we're trying this class is sort of the no shooting class that yeah. you actually do some shooting in. In my pistol craft <laughs> class, <laughs> we run a drill that I call race to the middle which you, you, you're all probably familiar with from the competitive scene, but there are no shoot, no muzzles in between a shoot target and your end target. And if you muzzle the no shoot, you get disqualified. And I've got a video of up and up on, on my YouTube channel, the same one that you can watch this show on the YouTube version. This it's, it's on there. And I recently taught the class in Michigan and the top four, shooters in the class on that drill were all females because they listened to the instructions <laughs> and you know the, the guys are trying to race each other <laughs> and they're going right across the no shoot also have a great video of john Hearn screwing that up now nice. i'll send that to you later Cecil. nice it, it uh, won't be the first yeah yeah <laughs> and because here here's the thing is if we tell people in our safety briefing that, that rule never allow the muzzle to cover anything you don't intend to shoot and then we let them muzzle things in our classes that they don't intend to shoot. Aren't we not allowing them to violate the rules we set forth in our safety briefing? Yeah, we call that a hypocrisy. <laughs> yeah, so doesn't that bring in the validity, validity of the training then? The question of validity on that.
It's like a it's well, like it's a mind a piece of cardboard, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it, but it's well, it speaks to almost a separation of the training from the real world, mm-hmm. and, you know. And Daryl's safety brief that he go, that he that he does like hour plus is specifically against that it's this is for everything this is how you get through life as opposed to hey here hey we're going to shoot some drills we're going to do this and hey don't don't tick off the instructor by doing this no that's the wrong way to think about it the the way we treat stuff on the range should be the least of our worries yeah you have to be safe don't get me wrong like Uh you'd ignore it but how long do I mean even professional instructors? How often are you actually on the range? On the range versus in the real world? You know, going yeah. to Starbucks, going to the grocery store, whatever. And it, 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 and I think that's been epidemic throughout the training community all this time. And again, I'm not going to let martial artists off the hook because because they do it as well what we do on the mat yes does it translate in fighting absolutely but not 100 percent all the time there's certain things you have to watch for and it's real easy just to slot these things oh we're going to compartmentalize this we're going to compartmentalize that and that's just that's just a recipe for failure this has and i think and i think one of you know, Chuck and Daryl have I ta- have talked about this for years and years and years, and I think that's part of what we kind of were coming to. And we, I don't think I, any of us had thought of the class this way eight years ago, but it was more that continuous talking to each other about, Hey, you know, this, and do you see what this was? And man, what do you think about that? I don't know. That's the problem. And it's all of us kind of going, well, maybe this is what we should be looking at. So it's not like we sat around at TACON last year and said, Hey, let's do a clutch together. Oh, we'll just throw something together. This is like a lot of time based on seeing all these kind of things. And it became, no, we have to make it for, for the average person, for the everyday person all the time, you know? And it's, that's why we said, we, we say it's not a shooting class. It's not a fighting class, right? It's a get around the real world class, which maybe you have to engage in violence, but hopefully not if we do all the other stuff, but, the, but that's not sexy, right? It's hard to sell it as a, um, uh, uh it's not a fighting class or it's not a shooting class it's not you know ooh, look at the video of me doing a full-out evo smashing into two guys and shooting with some guns or even getting shot because sometimes you know uh spectacular failure still makes for good video and you go hey yeah i went through that yeah it's really tough but and that's all good and we, that's part of good training but there's this this other component too that i think gets lost Mike, you had something? I did. Um, and Cecil reminded me of this. One of the things that really was, I thought was crucial for us as students was uh, Daryl's safety briefing that, that morning of the second day where he talked about um, what, you know, we ordinarily think, and I've heard of for decades as 
range rules, you know, the, the firearm safety rules, the range rules, the four firearms rules, and, and Daryl described those as lifestyle rules. And I think that's just so, it's so crucial for us to understand that, that those are not rules that we should be following when we're out on the gun range, but those are everyday rules that apply to us every single time we touch or really even look at a firearm or think about touching a firearm and how important it is that we maintain that safety kind of lifestyle if we're involved with firearms at all. It just really helped, you know, it brought more, even more context. And that's one of the things that I loved about this class is everything about the class was contextualized. You know, it, it was, it's not a one size fits all. It's a, you know, here's a situation, how would you manage it? So, um, but that, that whole, that safety briefing that we got the morning of the second day, I really think helped to set the tone and the idea that that's, those are lifestyle rules for living with firearms. All right. Well, before we go around the horn uh, with to get final thoughts, uh, I want to hit on one point here for all you guys with NRA basic pistol instructor certification, and that's your only credential and folks with the U S CCA equivalent of that. They're hearing this and think, you know, I can put together one of these classes. No, no, you can't. <laughs> and I, I'm not going to apologize if I offended you. Um, because there is a certain level of expertise and experience uh, that has to go along with putting together a class like that. And, if, you know, Chuck and, and Daryl, both 20 plus years of law enforcement experience, Cecil, 43 years of martial art experience. Okay. That's a lot of stuff rolled together and three of the top names in the training business coming together and putting, putting together this class with all that experience combined. You did not get that in a three-day instructor class. And there's just no polite way to say it. I'm just going to be pointed and say that. Um, and with that, let's go around the room for uh, some final thoughts. Anything you want to throw in uh, on the class, what you got coming up, etc. cetera. Joe? So I uh, do have a bunch of stuff coming up. Um, really, really busy September, October, November. One of those is going to be the same class we're talking about in Wisconsin, uh, again with Daryl and uh, Cecil. Uh, looking forward to that. That was our inaugural class when we uh, when we put this together. And that went really well. Great host up there. It was, it was a good range to have it at and everything. Um, and like Daryl said, the, the class has been a little bit of a, of a development in progress. I think we've got it polished up pretty good. Um, <clears throat> uh, not, not to contradict Cecil, but, you know, he said not a shooting class and a fighting class. Uh, it's a little bit of that uh, with other stuff thrown in that I haven't really seen in any other classes that I've gone to. Um, it's not full tilt boogie like Craig's uh, ECQC class or something like that. So uh, if uh, for, <laughs> I've seen people who are reticent to get into classes like that because they're like, oh my God, I'm you know out of shape or whatever. Um, if, if you want to get into that decision-making world and get some context to street violence and that sort of thing, uh, 
this may be the the class that you want, uh, kind of your introduction into that, I believe, because uh, you can get into it um, easily with uh, minimal training. You know, you could do NRA basic pistol, you know how to draw from a holster, and I think walk into this class and do fine. Uh, or maybe, you know, uh, you're like Alex and you like homicide some cardboard targets and stuff. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's a learning experience for people that is contextually different than any other class that I've seen. And uh, it is some shooting and it is some fighting. It is some street crime context. And then some information on concealed carry, like truly concealed carry that I haven't seen anywhere else. Chuck, where do people find you online? Uh, my uh, site is Agile Training and Consulting. It's agiletactical.com because, uh, you know, you have to get the domain name that the internet gods will let you have. Uh, agiletactical.com. Got a, my calendar is currently up to date. So that's a shock. I'm, no one's more surprised than I that uh, that's the case right now. Yeah, yeah, it's funny about those names. I, when I was trying to decide on my business name, I came up with the perfect one. And it turned out that it was a behavioral health clinic in my town. They already had it. It's like, well, I can't do that. And then I came up with an even better one in an auto parts store. Has the, Why they have that name, I don't know. But so that's how I ended up with like first person safety. I, it was because if nobody else was going to take that. Yeah, I tried to I tried to do agile training and agile consulting, and both of those were computer firms. So yeah. uh, you know, I got I got what I got. Yeah, I was I was like crestfallen when I punched in that name, and I'm like, an auto parts store has that that name? How? How? That's a cop term. How does the auto parts store have? <laughs> oh well, Cecil. Yeah, one thing I want to add real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. Something piggybacking on what Alex and Daryl had talked about earlier about, you know, that the classes um, allows, sets it up. So the potential for failure um, there's critics out there who will have called out Craig or myself or guys like us who use unscripted role players for stuff. Oh no, it's gotta be scripted. It's gotta be this. No, because what happens then the script goes the way you set it to be, which good or bad. Sometimes it's scripted for you to fail, which sucks. But I, I, myself, I think if it's scripted for you to win, that's just as bad. I think there has to be ambiguity because the real world is, has ambiguity. So when we're doing this and the students are interacting with each other and I'm not, I'm not giving them the set, param- I, you know, I'm giving them the general parameters, but I'm not, you do this. And then Chuck and Daryl are putting them through these things on the range where it's the same thing. It's not going to be the same, quite the same drill for everybody. Every single time there's those little nuances and things that come up. Yeah. And and people are going to fail and do egos get hurt and stuff sometimes, but that's again, that's how we get better. And so if, if everything is scripted to make us look great, um, what's the point, right? I mean, that's every Instagram video where the guy speeds up the thing in the shot. And after he shot 500 rounds to warm up, oh yeah, look, I just did this. Oh, okay. It doesn't mean anything in the real world. So I think, you know, I think it's important that we do it with 
that. Not so that you're going to fail, but that you might. And I just, so I just want to bring up, because there are people out there, I, I've gotten to a lot of internet debates with people saying, so you can't do that. I'm like, well, yeah, I think you can. Um, I, so, think that, I think that can go both ways because it can depend on what you're trying to teach. Mm. And there are certain places where scripting certain behaviors and outcomes, when it, when it builds on a teaching point, Yes. has its place yeah but it also i said your point there like i'm trying you're trying to expose people to the ambiguity well at that point scripted does not apply right right okay. i mean scripted is not you know scripted in the sense of like to your point mm -hmm. is okay if we're covering this yeah maybe mm -hmm. the parameters that i'm going to give somebody is hey remember we need to work this type of thing you know we want the student to work deploying a OC because yeah. um, they're not used to how they carry it in a pocket or whatever. So you're going to change the behavior, but it's not, you do this every single time, you know, whereas that's what I mean. Scripted is where the whole thing is all the way through regardless. And it's right. only going to produce one reaction. And I, and I think that's rarely a good thing, you know, yeah. just, you know, from the cop world, we see force on force and role play stuff that goes horribly wrong when the competitive nature takes over. Right. Uh, for sure. And it just turns into tactical grab assery. Sure. And at that point, the, the learning environment is, is completely lost. Absolutely. And I think that's where, when, when I use the term script that I mean, you have a trained role player that's playing a part for outcome, not necessarily, you know, you got to hit your mark and say this line. Yeah. That thing. All right. Yeah. Alex was raising his hand, wanting to touch on something right there, I think. Well, yeah. And, and just because I've been exposed to Cecil's curriculum, Craig's curriculum, you know, the, as, as I'm understanding it, you know, scripted role player is the outcome is already a foregone conclusion with Cecil and Craig and, 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 and folks within that vein do it's a bit more of a choose your own adventure where, the, the 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 individual has some input in which way it goes there's still structure to it so it's not just a, it's not a complete roll of the dice but it's your there 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 are ways where it can veer off and either go exceptionally well or exceptionally poorly depending on the actions of the various players involved and i think yeah. that's a a critical distinction because yeah. um you know force on force especially I've been to some lousy force on force and it's basically just gun tag. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I took a class this past weekend with Justin Dial, uh, what he calls technical force on force, but it was not force on force and like your tactics are judged and it was or a competitive thing or whatever it was. He was trying to put you in technical situations in which there was a force on force element. And in those he scripted actions and behaviors because he was trying to put you in a specific emotional state at, at different times. And in that sense, it worked, but it was not like a Craig or a Cecil class in which, okay, well, we're testing your decision-making. That's not what he was testing. Yeah. And so you have to look at what's being tested as, sure. as to the level of scripting that would go on. For sure. Right. And Cecil, the registration for your upcoming version of this is on your page. Yeah. Um, the my host is doing it direct um okay. and i can i can send everybody you know if they just 
look online. I've got the um, Robin's email, his contact, um, or just drop me a line and I'll set it up. Um, Where would they to, look to online to see that? Immediate Action Combatives, <laughs> iacombatives.com would be the single best place. And where would they drop you a line? To there, or Cecil at iacombatives.com. <laughs> help me help you, Cecil. <laughs> hey, hey, I stop. I'm, I'm getting out of the professional salesmanship stuff here. I try to separate that part from the instructor part. Yeah. So I'm not great. Based on what I've seen, man, you've never been in it. <laughs> well, in the day job, in the day job, That's I can it. do it, but not on okay. the, not on the, tr- on the training side. I've got that hard, hard line. Like when I, you're a wonderfully over. kept secret. Uh, my final thoughts. Uh, gosh, the, the synergy with between the instructors was incredible for this class. Uh, and I, I know I've kind of harped on this, the whole, idea that this was a real well-rounded meal but um that synergy made the class for me um and the the attention to processing with the students you know i got that i got that from chuck i got it from daryl i got it from cecil the ability to reach in there and tweak with us and uh, of course on the last day with with daryl just his ability to I, I don't know whether to say make me feel better about the people I murdered or make me feel worse about it because there. Can, can we back uh, off of the uh, murder uh, word here? <laughs> so that the uh, the inadvertent uh, shooting of some cardboard targets uh, is what I'm referring to. So I'm I'm working to catch up with Alex's numbers. I think <laughs> I, I got a feeling I need to give Alex my uh discount code for armed citizens legal defense network <laughs> that's funny we, he and i were actually talking about that earlier first person 25 off i think is what it is all right. apparently else? i'm gonna need all the help i can get yeah. you're, gonna need, you're gonna need all the insurance right. anything else mike um I, i'm starting my own little training company inclusive defense training.com so you can find me there all right DB, um, you know, the, if I can add, with the, you're looking at a, three instructors with about a hundred plus years of failure under our belts. It, it, it's where this all comes from: is that we we have a lot of experience in failure um, in whatever you know areas we're in, and we're using that to pass on to the students how to how to train, you know, based on the failures that we've experienced. Um, you know, with a lot of blood and pain and, you know, life associated. We're trying to help the students get through that without the consequence of that we faced to gain that experience. And I think the takeaway of this class is we give you a lot of uh, in-depth look at the consequence. And it's not a fighting or shooting class. It's a when to fight and shoot. And how to make decisions in that realm as opposed to, you know, here, here's the gun, run it and shoot, you know, it's, it's a, it's a when and if, and should I, um, and a lot of times how much, uh, consequence goes into those decisions. As I tell people these days, and we're throwing the term around and it's kind of probably came out of this. 
anytime you're involved in an incident where you press a trigger, you're going to be listed as either a homicide or a uh, attempt homicide suspect on that report. That's where you go on the police report. Yeah, that is awfully dang serious. Um, it's two of the most penalized crimes in the penal code. You better have a pretty good sense of what the subsections to those charges are that you need to not face consequence, full set of consequences for those crimes. And we just try to emphasize how important that is before you press a trigger on how many things have to be in line if you want to be the good guy. You know, being the bad guy is easy. We show the people in class being the bad guy is easy. Is trying to be the good guy, you know, is, you know, company rules on carry and, you know, societal rules. You can't get on a this piece of transportation with this. And you can't do all these societal rules. And then these gigantic set of rules on using any kind of force when you're being victimized in a crime. And we try to give you as many tools as we can based on our failures uh, you know, to make the students successful, uh, you know, in two and a half days and, uh, at least get them thinking the right direction. So, uh, for me, uh, DB shooting adventures for kind of my Facebook stuff, hardware tactical shooting on Facebook, do not go to our website. It is still a disaster. We are working on a new one, but, you know, I also have the, uh, the uh, liquor advisor to the tactical elite is my computer guy. So we tend to do more drinking than fixing the computer situation with Bill. Um, so we do get cigars smoked and good whiskey. So that's the important thing. But uh, yeah, Facebook, hardwired tactical shooting or uh, the uh, DB shooting adventures. Big event coming up uh, November at Gunsight, uh, the Pat Rogers Memorial Revolver Roundup. It is the best it is the cheapest way to go to gun site. Uh, Chuck will be teaching with us. I'm sure Cecil will be there this year unless he gets plagued again. And, uh, you know, it's uh, if you want to learn how to run a wheel gun, it is the event to go learn to run a wheel gun in an incredibly great environment to do it. So uh, and you can sign up on that through uh, gun site. Yes, Jamie. Um, probably my last words would be. Uh this really made me think about how I'm training. Um, I know DB touched on it, you know, being a competitive shooter um, as well as how I'm training my students that come in because most of my students are beginners and I want them to be on the right foot. Um, and then also just understanding, you know, um, when we can use force and if we should. So I think it's, I, I, it's, uh, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to rise to my English teacher's honor here. There's a big difference between the words can and may. You're correct. And should. <laughs> can, can refers to you have the ability to do so. May refers to you have permission to do yeah. so. And permission may refer to the legality here in this sense. Because can you shoot that person? Well, yeah, I can. I've got a gun and the ability to do it. <laughs> but I may not unless I meet a certain <laughs> certain legal uh, parameters. Uh, I had a fifth grade English <laughs> teacher that if you asked her, can I, can I go to the bathroom? She'd look at you very primly and properly go, I don't know. Can you? <laughs> if you didn't say may, you aren't going. 
<laughs> no, and I've heard you say that before, so I should have known better. <laughs> fifth grade was a long time ago, and that is still burned into my into my sight. I actually have to take a minute and prepare myself to say it incorrectly. <laughs> yeah, and my my smart mouth is when people walk up and say, "Hey, can I ask you a question?" I usually say, "Yeah, apparently." <laughs> you just you just demonstrated the ability to do so, Alex. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, a few, a few takeaways and, and especially for folks that may be considering the class first off, um, it is not particularly physically intensive. Like when I took ECQC Saturday night, I spent that entire evening soaking in an Epsom salt bath. Um, that is not this you, I mean, it's, you're, you're going to get some exposure to fighting, but it's regardless of where you're at in terms of your current physical capabilities, you will not be overwhelmed with this curriculum. Um, another another thing that I wanted to touch on was, hang on a second, going back here. Um, one of the things that the way they structure this and Cecil touched on it specifically, they'll, they'll position everybody when they're doing drills with, okay, if everything has completely gone to hell, here's how you deal with it. And then you start working those reps. And then they'll go, okay, so that's when everything goes wrong. Here's how to avoid getting there and walk it back from there, which I think is critical. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those where if you can safely handle a firearm, this is a phenomenal early phase class for a lot of people because it does contextualize things. And it talks about a lot of very relevant skill sets for people. Um, I try and resist hyperbolic statements and I, I try and resist kind of the, 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 the fear mongering aspect that sometimes exists within the gun world. I have a hard time shaking the feeling that if I hadn't been exposed to this material five years ago, I may have never experienced the events that have gotten me to the point that is the reason I'm on this panel right now, because the entire reason why I was there was I listened to sort of the, 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 the common knowledge of the gun world of, oh, if you're not carrying a full-size duty gun, then you don't take your personal protection seriously. Better to have it than not, and not need it than need it and not have it, and all the other bumper sticker tropes that we have just heard ad nauseum. And these three gentlemen have really taken practical, realistic defensive application and put a ton of content into these two and a half days. It is an incredibly information dense class. Somehow, at least from my experience, without being overwhelming. Now, you know, again, I've I'm a few years into this. I've got a few hours of training under my belt, and especially on this problem specifically, but even the complete rank novices where this was the first formal class they'd taken, nobody ever seemed to be in over their heads. And I, I think that that is a real testament to how the curriculum is structured, where you can have such a breadth of experience levels getting that degree of, of value out of the class. So um, I'm, number one, I'm very uh, encouraged to see that a class like this is gaining traction and, you know, much to, to, to Daryl's dismay, and don't get me wrong, I don't wish that the curriculum gets ripped off by any stress of the imagination. I do hope that these topics 
become a more frequent topic of discussion within the space because everybody wants to fixate on the Sentinel event. Everybody wants to, to fixate on the mall shooter because that's what comes up periodically. But it's so far on the end of the bell curve that we completely gloss over the much more typical defensive encounters. And that would kind of be my other thing is I want people to familiarize themselves with a risk matrix of the infrequent, very high consequence stuff should be factored in. But the slightly lesser consequence, much higher probability stuff needs to be addressed as well, because sometimes the net impact can be, if not equivalent, then comparable. And it's it's one of those where everybody wants to fancy themselves the hero and, and swinging in to save the day, but actually looking at how this can go wrong realistically and negatively impact your life and in what various manners is part of the whole self-defense equation because because we've talked about for the last almost two hours it ain't just the shoot shooting's the easy part you know you, you hit on something there that you fell into this i have to follow what the community says type mantra and you and I were joking uh, before everybody else logged in. One of the things that just drives me nuts is the pictures of these nightstand pocket dumps. And then when people, everybody critiques what the person has put out on the nightstand. And I sit there and go, why have you idiotically taken everything out of your pants and put it on the nightstand? Why didn't you take those pair of pants off and set them somewhere that if something bad breaks out in the middle of the night, especially in the hotel room, that you can get out of bed, put those pants on, and then go deal with your problem and you've got everything that you need? Why are you setting yourself up into a lesser prepared situation and then taking a picture of it and sending it out all over the world? Since yeah, I made the inner, go ahead, Daryl. Mine and Chuck's are in a fanny pack, so there, the whole thing. <laughs> it's yeah. just a fanny well, pack. Nice. You know, the other thing is, let, let me add a little funny for him, uh, uh, for uh, Alex. So, what did we do Saturday night? Instead of you taking ibuprofen and and crying in the bathtub, what did we? do? <laughs> there was no crying. First off, Daryl. No, we yeah, went to Brazilian everybody... steakhouse. Yeah, we went to a Brazilian steakhouse, and you were drinking a drink with an umbrella in it. Does it get any better than that? No, not at all. And <laughs> yeah. it was it was it was it was someplace where anybody without a badge could not go with a gun. <laughs> Precisely. Right. You got to practice. Yeah. <laughs> but uh in terms of the nightstand dumpling, I, I I will say there is some tactical advantage to it. And in your experience in law enforcement, I'm assuming Daryl's and Chuck's as well, you're familiar with the concept that nobody wants to fight the naked guy yeah but what's the more likely a fire in the hotel or a naked guy you know why not both yeah um naked guy with a fanny pack i'm telling you it's a visual flashbang people get out of your way yeah 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 but i may have to get up and and leave in the middle of the night is i think a much more realistic scenario than someone kicking in my door for sure all right. Uh, Jamie, you put something in the chat that I think needs to be touched on. Yeah, I felt that this uh, class was really a good example that not everything that we face in the world requires lethal force. 
And that's really where I think all three of our instructors are really going to and trying to drive their point is that Cecil did it, Chuck always does it, DB did it for all of us. Not everything and not every situation that they put us in during the class required us to use lethal force or even to use those verbal skills or those hands-on. Some of it was like, hey man, I was just really trying to get the time, sorry, sorry, my bad. And then same with some of the drills that we were doing um, outside on the live range, not everything. We had to assess those targets to see if they were a threat to us. Um, and, and, it, and it was tricky, but I think that's really important. And it's something that's lacking in the training world, especially in our industry. We just go out to the range and we just, we've already made the decision. We're shooting all of the targets. And um, I, I think it's something that is, this particular type of training is very valuable. And I would like to see more instructors going down this route and really making it more realistic, especially for our concealed carriers. It'll help you be a more responsible, you know, gun owner. All right, anyone got anything they would like to address that I did not ask about? All right. Uh, seeing, seeing no hands raised, uh, <laughs> we, will, we will move on. And, um, you know, to the audience, I just want to encourage you, don't be afraid of failure. Don't let that fear keep you from taking a class like this. That's where you actually want to go. And failure with no consequence. Yeah, you know, that this is your opportunity, because if you fail in the real world, there's going to be consequences to that that you have to pay. Go to the laboratory and let those you know, let that be where you have those earth shattering learning points occur and you regain that experience to where you can make better decisions. And, you know, these guys are not out to embarrass you, you know, damage your ego to the point that you can't come back from it, everything else. They're, they're wanting to make you succeed. And that's where, why you need to go take this class. And uh, I wouldn't have dedicated an episode to it before they did the class and they come back doing this yeah go take the class please this is what training is supposed to be about learning a persistent change in knowledge skills or attitudes it's are you going to get that in your seventh iteration of a you know flat range shooting class i, I don't know unless it's like my seventh iteration that you're coming to take for me but uh you know go take the class speaking of coming and taking classes for me uh august 20th and 21st i'm at the royal range in nashville with trigger management on saturday and handgun combatives essential pistol on sunday those classes need love and attention they are very lonely and they could use your love and support uh everything else i've got right now is sold out until october but uh, those those two classes could use your love and attention so if you're anywhere near nashville or would like to come see nashville this is your opportunity. Um, I want to thank everyone on the panel for taking uh, the time out to be here tonight. Um, I know that your time is all important to you, just as the audience. I know that your time is important to you. So if you're liking the show, if you're watching it on YouTube, please click that subscribe button because that would help me. And everyone else, thank you for your time. <laughs>